You're listening to Six Foot Plus, brought to you by Gravediggers Local 16. That was Labretta Suede and the Motel 6 doing a cover of New Zealand's first horror-themed rock song, Gravedigger's Rock. The band is back stateside, so do go see them if they come to your town. Welcome to another episode and another year of Six Foot Plus. It was back in the start of April 2011 that this little podcast made its debut. A year later, here we are. Thank you for tuning in. Hello, this is your curator of Six Foot Plus, Strange Jason. Hello. For the last year, I've gone anonymously and used the plural pronoun we, are, etc. for a reason. When Six Foot Plus started, I didn't want it to be confused for a separate entity. While it has its own personality, Six Foot Plus is an extension of Gravediggers Local 16, found online at gravediggerslocal.com. 
Over the last year, whenever I spoke, I spoke on behalf of everyone over at GDL16. And now, I really don't have to. In the initial planning stages, we tossed around some ideas of what Six Foot Plus would be. We thought of doing music reviews, or possibly having me read aloud some short fiction every other episode. But after that premiere, uh, those plans were scrapped, as they would have been too time-consuming and too labor-intensive. After scrapping those plans, we stuck with music for the last year or so. But thanks to the recent additions of the Monster Mat Minute and Metal Morgue, the show is closer to what was originally intended. There are still some changes that will be made over the next mm, month or so, but for the most part, Six Foot Plus remains the program of spooky music and more that you've come to know over the last year. For this episode, I'll be playing some favorite selections from those over at Gravediggers Local 16. We have a special interview on Metal Morgue as Dr. Gangrene speaks with the legendary Fast Eddie Clark. Monster Mat will pop up for the Monster Mat Minute and we'll go three feet deep with Monster A Go Go. Right now, here's a song that should have been on our Poe and Lovecraft episode. This is The 3D Invisibles and Dreams of Poe.
Hall of the Living Dead, doing Only In My Head. You can buy that and other tracks now on Paul's Bandcamp website. 2012 is going to be a wild year for Paul of the Living Dead, so if you can catch him perform either by himself or possibly with a band, do so. Before that, we had Undead Jive from Death Ray Cats. They reached out to me on Twitter, and I'm very grateful that they did. I'm always looking forward to hearing new music from that band. They should have a recording out this year, and when it happens, I'll let you know. This Saturday, Spookhand performs for what might be the last time in the foreseeable future on April 7th at Stickfest, located at the Muse in Nashville. Spookhand will join Alucard, Go-Go Monsters, the Creeping Cruds, and more. Doors open at 2, free food while it lasts, good music, good times. Here now, throw the switch.
Thanks for me, you give me the black hand The thanks, I give it to the next band Drinks on me, you've gotta go Please, got to go now You've got to go You've got to go Must go But Will Mahonky talks at night Looking for that breather to life You roll my honky, talks at night I'm Looking for that breather to life You got to Twang Zombie by Deadbolt. Huh. Oh man. I feel it coming on. Ooh. Get ready. It's time for the Monster Mat Minute. Ghoul Morning Maniacs. <laughs> yes, that's right. It is I, your fiend, yours truly, Monster Matt Patterson. And did you know this is a special occasion? It's true. Our friends here at Six Foot Plus, we have been in existence for a full year, and I wish to extend a congratulate. I mean, uh, a congratulate. I mean, uh, a congratulate. Oh, brother! Here's to a job well done, fellas. How's that? Uh, really, it's something truly wonderful to behold. Preferably away from me because you have an odor, you fiends. Uh, no, I'm, I'm quite serious here. It's wonderful to be a part of this creepy little family, and if this is truly a family, I would hate to see the photo albums. Um, you know, the, the uh, cannibals, our friends the cannibals, have consented to throw us a party with a cookout to commemorate the uh, one-year anniversary. And how wonderful is that? How cheery. Thank you, cannibals. In fact, they're going to prepare some franks on the grill, along with some other people. They're also going to prepare some chunks of Marissa tomatoes, along with some uh, watermelony Griffith, and for you tennis lovers, some John Macaroni and cheese. I know, that's just horrible, but that's how we roll here in Matsylvania, you fiends, you maniacs, you. And in fact, let me drop this brand new one on you, okay? Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Stick a needle in my eye. If I don't die, but I wake and bake, zip me to 7-Eleven for some nachos and frosted flakes. Oh, brother, why did I do that? Because that's how it is. That's our dynamic. I tell them, you listen. <laughs> so, just so you know where you are, okay. Uh, here's one more for you, maniacs, and then I'm going to uh, skedaddle. Which one of these two vamps is older? Barnabas Collins or Joan Collins? <laughs> uh, 
I don't know, but like I said, they are vamps. Anyways, that's my time, Maniacs. Thank you so much, and we will see you again next time. Bye-bye. That was Monster Matt Patterson. You can get a copy of his book, Monster Matt's Bad Monster Jokes, Volume 1, from WestNet Books, and at various online retailers such as Amazon and Barnes & Noble.
from an early incarnation of Electric Frankenstein, that was The Thing, and How I Rose from the Dead in My Spare Time. Also played a demo from Secular Plague, the new band from Sapphire of the French death rock band Sleeping Children. You can keep tabs on Secular Plague over on Facebook. There'll be a link with this show's track listing found online at sixfootplus.com. Right now, let's relax a bit with Kava Khan. I am extremely grateful to that band for all the music they've allowed us to use in this program over the past year. In fact, they created the Urban Graveyard Lounge music specifically for Six Foot Plus. You can hear it playing in the background as I'm talking. Mahalo, indeed.
Ursula 1000 with the wizard. Hmm. You better not be sleeping. You are sleeping. Hmm. I might just have to tag you and bag you and ship you down to the morgue. In fact, why don't we go there right now? This is the Metal Morgue, dissecting the best and worst horror movies and music that rock, with your host, Dr. Gang Green. Hey guys, it's my pleasure tonight to interview the one and only Fast Eddie Clark, founding member of Motorhead and Fastway. How you doing, Eddie? Yeah, I'm doing great, man. Pleased to meet you. Thanks. It's uh, my honor and privilege to talk to you. Uh, wanted to tell the guys, first and foremost, tell everyone about your new album. Yeah, great. Well, well, it's, it's called Eat Dog Eat, uh, which it's going to confuse everybody because it confuses me. Because obviously <laughs> we all want to say Dog Eat Dog, but actually Eat Dog Eat, it's, uh, it's a singer thing. Uh, singer Toby Jepson from The Little Angels, who uh, I wrote the album with and obviously recorded it with. Um, that was one of his great ideas, because, you know, singers come up with all these great ideas. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that title there. And, uh, but, uh, no, we, we started writing this album. Shall I give you a brief history of the album? That would be great. Yeah, well, I start, we started, like, we, we did some shows, some sort of, like, um, just some festivals in 2007. Someone suggested, you know, why not have another run at Fastway? Well, I didn't mind, because I hadn't played for a long time, so I was quite excited by it. And I, that's when I got to meet Toby Jepson. He was put forward as a possible singer. And then after we did the, the 2007 shows, we did about a dozen shows around Europe. We went to Japan. Um, 
I think the results uh, speak for themselves, you know. Absolutely. Now, um, how do you feel about going back to a three-piece again? It's been a while, you know, you've had four-piece and even five-piece with Fastway. Well, I like the idea of a three-piece, but unfortunately that has now changed um, because Toby, Toby's really a, a frontman singer, although mm-hmm. he's a very excellent bass player. He's, uh, we've discussed it over Christmas where we got together and uh, he asked me if I'd mind getting a bass player in because... He feels he's best suited to holding the microphone and mm-hmm. um, standing there giving it his all, you know, and he feels that with the bass, he won't be able to, um, just to pull it off convincingly, you know, because we're hoping to get some sort of high-profile shows again, mm-hmm. uh, and he's just a bit concerned. So I said, well, okay, so we're, we're, we're looking for a bass player at the moment. Toby's got a couple of friends in mind that, uh, in fact, next week we're going to be seeing them to see... Uh, See if there's one there we can use, you know, so it'll be back to a four-piece. Oh, okay. Excellent. Well, um, so you guys are planning on doing some touring? Well, yeah, definitely. We've got, um, well, we're doing download here in the summer, but I want to get some more festivals here and in Europe. And then, obviously, the record comes out April 10th in America. My dream would be to come back and do a, a tour of America or something, you know, or support or some little shows or something. Because, you know, I'm getting on a bit now, and I've had a few scares over the years. So it'd be nice to get over and just take the guitar to America one more time and have a little bash, you know. Oh, we'd love to see you. I know there's yeah, a lot. Yeah, fantastic. Because, I mean, I have some such fond memories of America with the, you know, the, the first Fastway record, you know, when we were sort of supporting Iron Maiden and we went on to support ACDC and it really was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, because the only other time I've been there before really was Motorhead supporting Ozzy Osbourne on his first tour of America. Wow. Which was okay, but the crowd didn't really know what Motorhead was where we were coming from, as it was a bit early, that was 1980, 81. Mm-hmm. And of course, we were going out there and sort of opening for Ozzy. Well, the people was, you could see them, they were just looking at us thinking, what the fuck's this? Well, you know, and after time we come off stage and say, "Well, they didn't seem to like it very much, did they?" And it was almost (laughs) they were bemused by it. You know, they couldn't work out where Motorhead was coming from. Of course, nowadays, I mean, it's it's the norm now. Yeah. But back then, that real sort of like loud sort of make your ears buzz music wasn't wasn't so acceptable then. You know. Tell me a funny story about uh, Ozzy Osbourne and touring with Ozzy, because I know you got to have a million of them. Say. 
you know, we were throwing bows for him, and he just stayed there, and the roadies, roadies trying to get him up, and it's like, oh, and he's got egg all over his face, and, you know. <laughs> When I went obviously with Fastway, it was a completely different thing. They were, because we'd done an MTV video, you know, because it was 83 when MTV just started. Say What You Will took off like a rocket. Mm. And of course, everybody knew we were because of the video. So we'd turn up at shows, and I remember going to Wyoming was the first show with Iron Maiden. And there's all these girls and lads out there all cheering, going, hey, Eddie, hey, Dave. And we turned to each other and said, well, how do they know who we are? <laughs> of course, we didn't realise then that the video was already being played on maximum rotation on, um, on MTV. Oh, it was a good you know. time for the music scene, you know? Yeah, you know, well, you do, you look for, for, for moments like that, you know, when a crowd, I remember we played, um, we support, but this is Iron Maiden again, we were in Cleveland, where we broke out of on WMMS. Mm -hmm. And blimey, I mean, we, we went into um, Far From Home, that blues tune, and um, well, the, the roar from the crowd, you couldn't even hear the amplifiers, you couldn't hear anything except the roar <laughs> from the crowd, and all the lighters were up, you know, it was about 17,000 in there. Mm. And, and I mean, Jerry dropped his drumsticks because he got over emotional, you know. <laughs> Dave got all teary, you know. Me, I, I didn't, I don't do that, but <laughs> but I but I definitely took on board that it was a really sort of fabulous moment, you know. Absolutely, that's what that's what it's all about, man. Yeah, well, the, I don't know what it is about the U.S. audiences. They just seem to they just seem to get behind you, you know, a hundred percent, you know. Oh yeah, I do. So uh, you mentioned your guitar. I, I noticed that uh, you played the Strat with uh, with Motorhead. Are, are you doing the Les Paul with with Fastway nowadays? Well, I would. I obviously I used to use the Les Paul when I left Motorhead, and I, I took up with the Les Paul then. Um, on the shows in two thousand seven, I started with the Les Paul. It was great, but I ended up going back to the Strat, which I was quite surprised. And I changed the pickup on it, because I used to have an XM2 on it when I was in uh, in Motorhead and the bridge. Mm -hmm. And uh, I put a, a super distortion on, which actually isn't as distorted as the XM2. And um, so I gave it a try, and it worked really well. And I found myself a little more comfortable with the Strat this time. I don't know whether it's because it's a bit more glitzy, you know, it's got the, the brass scratch plate and all the bells and whistles on it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that, but it just felt more comfortable because it's a lot lighter than the Les Paul. Because my Les Paul, I bought it in 1972, brand new. Um, it was a gold top then with the little de-armand um, humbuckers on it. But it's the heaviest one they ever made. Mm. And maybe because I'm getting old a bit, me, you know, my shoulder <laughs> can't take it. <laughs> uh, strats. I, joke, I could always look, well I've got this big thick strap so it doesn't really bother me but I don't know I was quite surprised myself that I, I tried out the strap and, and I felt really comfortable with it so actually I took it to Japan with me and played with it there and I just I'm sort of warming towards it but then of course we went in the studio and I started to use the strap on a couple of tracks and it never quite works with Fastway, the early Fastway stuff, the Strat. I tried it then. I don't know what it is. Recording it, it just gets a little bit mushy. Mm -hmm. You know, so I went back to the Les Paul, and of course it's got, it's loud, it's hard. It's a hard loudness, you know, from the Leicester. And because um, I've got that um, 
replacement pickup on there that Demarzio made back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And it really, I bought about 10 of them at the time. I'm about on my last one now, but I used to change them every couple of years because they go microphonic. But um, it really kicks off. So with my old amp and my Les Paul, my sound was exactly the same as it was. I was using exactly the same things as I used in uh, in 1983 when we did the first Fastway album. And, it, and it's fantastic. I mean, I'm so happy that the sound is my sound, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, you may just have one guitar for, you know, studio and one for live. Yeah, I think that's what it'll be, and I'll, I mean, I'll always keep my Les Paul with me because it does have it does have the edge, you know. But but when you're doing festivals, I don't know. It's not quite the same when you're doing festivals, you know. The sounds are slightly different on the stage with all the air around you, and and I think that I don't know why the strat seems to be more comfortable in the air. But we did a little club to open the um, the tour that we did, well, these sort of shows we did. We did a little club in London, and. Um, I found the Les Paul better there, so it's kind of a weird one, you know. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so 1986, when you guys did the Trick or Treat album, do you remember how that came about? We'd done the um, the third Fastway album, Waiting for the Raw, which wasn't something I, I really wanted to put my name to. It By then, we'd been taken over by by management and record company. They were sort of like figuring heavy in it, and Dave, Dave was playing with the Irish band. I was living in Ireland at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'd become sort of a member of their band. Mm. So it, the whole thing was getting away from me then. It wasn't really my band anymore. And um, and so what happened was that the Waiting for the Roar album, I mean, we put all these keyboards on it and Terry Manning done the production and we did it at Abbey Road. In fact, I'm still paying for that record now. Mm. Um, it was, I thought it was a disaster. I mean, I didn't like it. We you know we used Fairlight drums as you did in the 80s, you know. Yeah. And it just wasn't Eddie Clark, you know. And, and so, um, and, and quite honestly, the tour, we did a, a, a European tour with supporting ACDC, which, you know, the band played well. We played well. It was a good, some good sessions there, but the album never did any business. We couldn't tour in America because the Americans didn't like it. And I don't blame them because it was a very sort of plasticky record, I always thought. Hmm. And, um, you remember those early computer days, you know? Oh, yeah. And um, so things were looking real bad for us. You know, I was living in Ireland, as I say, because Dave was living there with his band over there. Um, and it was looking like the end of the road for Fastway. And our management phoned me up one day and said, look, how do you fancy doing a, a soundtrack? I said, well, I mean, I'm up for it because I've never done a soundtrack. So the, the idea of doing something new is always appeals to me. And uh, they'd been talking to um, someone at the Dino De Laurentiis uh, organization and um, they said you know Ozzy's doing it and the guy from Kiss is doing it and you know it'd be great if Fastway did the music because we haven't got anybody to do the music yet so I said I jumped at the chance and um, Dave was a little reluctant because by then he was very upset that the Wait for the Raw album hadn't done any business because it was kind of like his baby mm-hmm. and um, and so it was all fraught with all that you know Dave wasn't really into heavy metal anymore and um but so he said, you know, I'm not in a heavy rock anymore, man. I want to go my own way. And I said to him, I said, look, man, I said, let's do this as our swan song. I said, you know, we've, we've made this to be our fourth album together. I said, you know, I because dis- I discovered him, you know, when he was nothing. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, let's just do this one. I said, you know, do it for me because I'd like to get this done. And so he agreed to do it. But of course, um, and it actually worked quite well. I don't know whether it was because by then there'd been this sort of, it wasn't a rift so much. It was just that we'd grown out, well, he'd grown out of the Fastway thing. He had this plan. You know, singers are like, they like to go on and do other things, you know, mm-hmm. like poetry or Irish songs or something. Um, <laughs> and, and so we set about doing the album. Well, it actually really worked quite well, I thought. Um, 
you know, because we weren't really particularly close friends then. He was doing it under duress, and um, I was doing it because I loved doing it. Uh, and, of course, I was talking to Charles Martin Smith on the phone, and, of course, I'd seen him in a couple of movies, so it was quite funny with him. I'm going, oh, mm. so what do you want for this scene? You know, and he'd tell me what something, he'd tell me a song, an idea for a song, and I'd, he'd say, well, go and listen to this song, and I want something like that. So I'd go and listen to it, and i think, okay, okay. So it was kind of like a nice process. And um, we finally got the album finished, and I've, I've, I really enjoyed recording the album, I must admit, I did enjoy it. And, um, and that was the end. Dave then went his separate way, you know, he set off on his own thing with his own band. I kind of, uh, and I came back to London, I was sort of out in the cold at that point. So, um, but Trick or Treat was a great album. I mean, I, just because of, you know, soundtrack albums are a bit like festivals, they're not like normal gigs. You know, you have to kind of adhere to certain parameters. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sometimes good for musicians, you know, because you're sitting there, sometimes you sit there thinking, well, what should we write, man? The nice thing about this was I talked to the director and he'd tell me what type of style he wanted for a particular scene. So it gave me something to aim at. Yeah. And, and, I, and I found that very helpful, you know. Oh, yeah. Sometimes a little uh, guidance like that can bring out some creativity, you know. To, to Yeah, and it narrows the, you know, narrows the field a bit of, you know, how, where, you can, where you can go. So, so I really enjoyed it. I mean, the album did very well, I remember. Um, mm -hmm. It was a very popular album, and people still, when we were doing those festivals in 2000, people were shouting out for Trick or Treat, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's not the easiest song to do live. <laughs> it's one of those songs that you try, you try and do it, and it seems to have a big hole in the middle. Really? Yeah, so, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not one I, I tend to do live, you know. Do you play anything off that album live? No. Yeah. I, I do really enjoy that album. I think it's a really yeah. solid. No, I still listen to it now because you know I've got it. I, I, I have all these playlists on me on, on this thing now, and I always take a couple of tracks on there. After Midnight's the one I like, and Trick or Treat I like particularly. Yeah. yeah. Although Don't Lose the Fight is quite good. I quite like that as well. That's a good one. And the slow one, I quite. Yeah, no, you see when mm -hmm. I'm when I, see when you start talking to me about it, I can hear all the songs <laughs> now. You know, the the slow one. Da -da 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 -da. Right, that, right. Yeah, that riff keeps coming into my head every so often. That riff will come into my head, and I'll think, oh, that's a good riff. I should do something with that. Right. Well, maybe <laughs> you guys... I remember that it's on Trick or Treat. Yeah, maybe you guys can, uh, you know, break out one of those songs live this time. You know? Well, I suppose we could. I mean, Toby and I, you know, Toby and I are pretty close at the moment. I mean, he's still doing his production work because he's been producing a couple of bands, you know, the Virgin Marys and the Crow Molly's just doing. Um, uh, but... There is a chance, you know, if we could have a relatively good spell with this record, I mean, I have another album in me for sure, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm pretty sure Toby has. So, you know, if, if provided we just get the right amount of feedback from this record, like, worldwide, you know, it doesn't have to be fantastic, because things ain't fantastic anymore, you know what I mean? Sure. But just a little bit to keep the momentum going, and I think we could, you know, this could go on for a little while, this new Fastway thing. It's like a new chapter, you know? Well, that would be great, and I'd love to see you guys come over here and yeah. play, so... You know, anything we can do, you let me know, and uh, we'll yeah, definitely I will do. I will do. <laughs> we'll definitely spread the word on uh, the release April 10th, you said? April 10th, yeah. All right, that's the physical copy, and they can download now through iTunes, I believe. Yes, I think it is on iTunes. Well, all right, Eddie, it's been great talking to you, my friend. Well, my pleasure, my pleasure. I look forward to seeing you guys uh, playing live again. 
let's let's hope it happens this year. I hope, and I hope we get you guys into Nashville, Tennessee, too. Yeah, me too, mate. Thanks very much.
The Irresponsibles Break Me. They'll be playing the Jetty Bar in Glenoge, South Australia on April 21st with Colleen Utopia. It's a free show. They'll also be playing in Queensland, New South Wales, and Victoria soon. Break Me is used as the theme song to The Spoonie Experiment, a online show of video games, robots, general insanity. I haven't really kept up on it, but both I and Weird John are fans. Speaking of keeping up on things... Welcome to the GDL-16 Recap. Weird John came back from the dead and explained his absence in a blog post, following it up with a bevy of new articles. He still needs help in identifying a movie. You can leave comments on GDL-16. We do read them. Weird John also wrote about free horror commentaries, a free legal download of a new horror movie, and he also reviewed an audio reading of great classic suspense. Meanwhile, Atomic Mystery Monster brought a little bit of The Boss to the site with the video of Night with the Jersey Devil. I put up a review of fellow podcaster and author Mark Justice's book, Looking Through the World with Glass in My Eye. And Tuesday Etsy gave us ways for us Americans to spend our tax returns with the coffee cups of Suzinski and the t-shirts of Total Lost. Read all of these and more over at Gravediggers Local 16 found online at gravediggerslocal.com.
Control. Dead Rose Symphony with Behind the Door, and Hoverflock and Swingers doing a bountiful tune called Burn. The Swingers come to us from Wolverine Records, a great label. For more artists from Wolverine Records, listen to the last episode. We went three feet deep with them. We'll go three feet deep now with Monster Agogo a band founded and headed by Vincent October. I thought he went on to join a band called The Jetsons, S-I-N-N-S, but who really knows? I do know that you can now buy all three of the Monster Agogo 7 inches over at goblinhouse.com. 
goblinhaus.com. Here are three songs to whet your appetite.
Did you know that you can write Six Foot Plus? Send an email to contact at sixfootplus.com. I'm always open for new bands, and if you want to have your music on this show, just reach out. You can also find Six Foot Plus on Facebook and Twitter, facebook.com slash sixfootplus, and at sixfootplus. That's the number six, F-T-P-L-U-S. The same can be done for Gravediggers Local 16, facebook.com slash gravediggerslocal, and at GDL16. I sold my soul for you But you were untrue What more could I do But build a bed for two I'm rotting 
Those were the evil streaks. As mentioned in the GDL16 recap, Weird John finally saw them play live and it was well worth it. The Evil Streaks recently played with the Automatons, who recently came back from the dead. You heard Grave for Two. We're at the end of this, the first show of our second year. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Thanks are to be given to Weird John for helping out with a lot of the music selections, to Monster Matt and Dr. Gangrene for joining up with this little program, Thanks to Nels and Yvonne for lending their respective music for opening, filling, and closing the show. And thanks to you, dear listener, to every listener. Probably won't play these guys too much this year to give them a break since they're on one. But it's a special occasion, so let's end this show proper with the ghastly ones. I'm Strange Jason. Until next time.
Foot Plus, episode 27, plus one year and counting. Six Foot Plus is a GDL 16 production. All music used with permission. The theme song, Carpe Noctum, performed by the Madeira. Havala, Ivan. Urban Graveyard Lounge music provided by Kava Khan. Mahalo. Urban Graveyard Lounge music provided... Monster Matt Patterson appeared as himself. The Metal Morgue was produced by Dr. Gangrene. For track listing and links to all the bands, go to sixfootplus.com.